Welcome to Damn Good Movie Memories with your host, Ryan Davis. This podcast is the cure for your long commute and super boring work day. Hey there, it's Brian Davis, and for this week's episode, we're going to cover the movie Raging Bull from 1980. The studio was United Artists, the release date was December 19, 1980. The running time, 129 minutes, and it was rated R. The budget was $18 million, and the box office took in $23.3 million, making it the 27th ranked movie of 1980. Rotten Tomatoes gives it 93% fresh from 76 reviews. Their critic consensus is... Arguably, Martin Scorsese and Robert De Niro's finest film. Raging Bull is often painful to watch, but it's a searing, powerful work about an unsympathetic hero. Roger Ebert at the time gave it four out of four stars. And here's his review. Martin Scorsese's Raging Bull is a movie about brute force, anger, and grief. It is also, like several of Scorsese's other movies, about a man's inability to understand a woman except in terms of the only two roles he knows how to assign her, virgin or whore. There is no room inside the mind of a prizefighter in this movie for the notion that a woman might be a friend, a lover, or a partner. She is only, to begin with, an inaccessible sexual fantasy. And then, after he has possessed her, she becomes tarnished by sex. Insecure by his own manhood, the man becomes obsessed by jealousy and releases his jealousy and violence. It is a vicious circle. Freud called it the Madonna whore complex. Groucho Marx put it somewhat differently. I wouldn't belong to any club that would have me as a member. It amounts to a man having such low self-esteem that he A, cannot respect a woman who would sleep with him, and B, is convinced that given the choice, she would rather be sleeping with someone else. I'm making a point of the way Raging Bull equates sexuality and violence because one of the criticisms of this movie is that we never really get to know the central character. I don't agree with that. I think Scorsese and Robert De Niro do a fearless job of showing us the precise feelings of the central character, the former boxing champion Jake LaMotta. It is true that the character never tells us what he's feeling, that he is not introspective, that his dialogue is mostly limited to expressions of desire, fear, hatred, and jealousy. But these very limitations, these stone walls separating the character from the world of ordinary feelings, tell us all we need to know, especially when they're reflected back at him by the other people in his life, especially his brother and his wife Vicky. Is this the real LaMotta? Well, we can't know for sure, though LaMotta was closely involved with the production. What's perhaps more to the point is that Scorsese and his principal collaborators, actor Robert De Niro and screenwriter Paul Schrader, were attracted to this material. All three seem fascinated by the lives of tortured, violent, guilt-ridden characters. Their previous three-way collaboration was the movie Taxi Driver. Scorsese's very first film, Who's That Knocking at My Door from 1968, starred Harvey Keitel as a kid from Little Italy who fell in love with a girl but could not handle the facts of her previous sexual experience. In its sequel, Mean Streets, from 1973, the same hang-up was explored, as it was in Taxi Driver, where the De Niro character's Madonna whore complex tortured him in sick relationship with an inaccessible icy blonde and with a young prostitute. Now the filmmakers have returned to the same ground in a film deliberately intended to strip away everything but the raw surges of guilt, jealousy, and rage coursing through LaMotta's extremely limited imagination. Raging Bull remains close to its three basic elements, a man, a woman, and prizefighting. LaMotta is portrayed as a punk kid, stubborn, strong, and narrow. The equation between his prizefighting and his sexuality is inescapable, 
and we see the trap he's in. LaMotta is the victim of base needs and instincts that, in his case, are not accompanied by the insights and maturity necessary for him to cope with them. The Raging Bull, the poor sap. And that's the end of Ebert's review. Raging Bull is one of the grittiest sports movies ever made, and one of Robert De Niro's finest performances, which is saying a lot. I remember seeing this on TV as a kid and being horrified by the fight scenes and the up-close shots of punches and blood just spurting out of all areas of the fighters' faces. And up to that point, Rocky was pretty much the only type of boxing movie I had seen. And while Rocky was definitely bloody, Raging Bull was way different and seemed much more real. Also, a funny memory from my first childhood viewing of Raging Bull it was ironically seen on a tiny black and white television. I had no idea until a few years later that that film was truly shot in black and white. I just assumed it was because of the TV I was watching on. Okay, let's get into the main cast. Of course, Robert De Niro plays Jake LaMotta. The 1970s were a terrific decade, to say the least, for De Niro career-wise, along with his very successful collaborations with director Martin Scorsese. Here are his best-known films for De Niro prior to Raging Bull. You had Bang the Drums Slowly, Mean Streets, Scorsese, The Godfather Part Two, Taxi Driver with Scorsese, New York, New York with Scorsese, and The Deer Hunter. Now, I'll cover Joe Pesci, Kathy Moriarty, and Frank Vincent in the making of the film portion in a bit. The director, of course, Martin Scorsese. I could do an entire podcast just on Scorsese's fabulous career, but I'll just run through his films prior to Raging Bull. You had Boxcar Bertha, which had Barbara Hershey, Mean Streets, as I mentioned, with De Niro and Harvey Keitel, Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore with Ellen Burson and Chris Christopherson, Taxi Driver, New York, New York, and The Last Waltz, which is a fabulous documentary about the band named The Band. All right, let's get into the making of the film. So Robert Chardoff and Erwin Winkler were originally from New York and idolized the boxers of their childhood, especially local guys like Jake LaMotta. Of course, Chardoff and Winkler were the producers of the original Rocky in 1976, and United Artists wanted another fight film due to the massive success of Rocky, and because of this, Rocky helped Raging Bull get made. However, it didn't come that easy. The risque language in Raging Bull was going to lead to a hard R rating, and the lack of a very likable character being the lead character, along with the film being in black and white, all contributed to an uphill battle in getting this film made. However, the cachet the film had, besides having Chartoff and Winkler produce, well, they had the team of Scorsese and De Niro, who had already had three successful and critically acclaimed films prior to that point. So De Niro had the LaMotta autobiography with him and showed it to Winkler and told him to read it and see if it was movie material. De Niro had originally read the book when he was filming the movie 1900, which was also released the same year as Rocky. De Niro, for a few years, had it in his mind to transform himself into Jake LaMotta, mentally and physically. Scorsese and LaMotta came from the same neighborhood, so he had a connection to the upbringing that LaMotta had. However, Scorsese was hesitant about making the film and had to be persuaded to direct it. He was going through a breakup of his marriage at the time, and it wasn't a high point in his life personally. And it's likely that the shambles of Scorsese's personal life at the time made him connect deeply with the disastrous early life of Jake LaMotta. One of the real sticking points Scorsese had when making the film was that the boxing scenes had to look real on screen. He didn't want fake-looking boxing and he used real fighters against De Niro, along with real referees. There is an irony in this because Scorsese admits he's not much of a sports fan at all. He's more of a music fan. But that's the genius of a top person in their craft. Even if a subject isn't their expertise, they can still put all their effort into making something the best they can. 
Scorsese at this point had never seen a live boxing match, and a group of his friends took him to a five-fight card at Madison Square Garden. The seats were in the rafters, and Scorsese had a tough time following the fight and thus realized he didn't know yet how to film his fight scenes for Raging Bull. Director Brian De Palma was also at the fight sitting with Scorsese, and after the fights were over, he jokingly said, Good luck with the film. <laughs> Scorsese again went to Madison Square Garden, but this time he sat in the third row, and he was with Jake WaMata, and it was an entirely different perspective that Scorsese needed to visualize a boxing match. He could feel the fight and the blows and how fast the fighters were. And that's also the reason Scorsese wanted the fight scenes to be filmed inside the ring, as the majority of the fight films throughout history were shown through the ropes instead of being inside the ring. Also, the sound effects in these fight scenes were tremendous from Frank Warner. De Niro trained with LaMotta for one solid year before filming. LaMotta said that De Niro put in the equivalent of over a thousand rounds preparing for the film. And then on top of it, De Niro famously took off three to four months from the film in order to gain 60 pounds to portray the retired version of LaMotta. Now, not many actors would or could pull this off. It's really what added to the legend of De Niro, and he loaded up with pasta and milkshakes to do this. Producer Erwin Winkler was totally against De Niro attempting that quick weight gain and stopped filming in the process, and Winkler felt it wasn't good for the cost of the film or De Niro's health when prosthetics could be used instead, but De Niro was totally method acting for LaMotta, and he had to become this version of Jake to get the best performance he felt was needed. So De Niro went from 150 pounds to 210. Now that is dedication to your art without a doubt. Now, one of the really cool things that Scorsese did was to make a conscious decision to make each boxing match different in style so they all stood out on their own. It's really just a brilliant move because this way the viewer would be able to remember the differences in each fight, just like in reality. And keep in mind, many of the fights picked for the film were not in the same year historically. The LaMotta fights in the film spanned almost 10 years. So they had to look different. The other reason was to show the state of mind LaMotta was in at that point when he fought the specific fight. You might have a brighter ring for one fight or a wider shot or maybe even super close. It just depended on how LaMotta felt mentally at the time of the fight. In addition to having the real Jake LaMotta as a consultant on the film, screenwriter Martic Martin spent a few weeks with Vicky LaMotta to get her realistic stories and observations about what it was like being with Jake. Martin started the screenplay, which lasted a few years, but then writer Paul Schrader was brought in to add a new perspective, and then he hired a researcher to give even more details about the history of the LaMottas, including Jake's brother Joey, who was also a boxer, but more of a spokesperson and manager of Jake. Joe Pesci had almost given up acting at this point in his career. He started as a child actor and was fed up with the business, but De Niro and Scorsese thought he was really interesting during his audition. There's a funny story where the real Joey LaMotta was looking Pesci up and down during the filming, and Pesci looked at him and said, You know, they tried to get Robert Redford to play you, but he was busy. Sorry. <laughs> and actually, it was Joe Pesci that recommended Kathy Moriarty to come audition for Vicky. She was looking into being a professional actress and was working in plays and whatnot, but Pesci saw her photo and recommended that she had the look for the Vicky character. Scorsese gave her a screen test, and she just fit the part of Vicky perfectly and worked very well with De Niro. Moriarty wanted to meet the real Vicky in order to study her for the character. However, she wasn't allowed because the part of the role in the film was Vicky seen through the eyes of Jake and nobody else. If Moriarty took too much of Vicky's true personality, it may have changed the vision that Scorsese and De Niro had for the film. 
Moriarty was only 18 or 19 when filming began and very close in age to the character she was portraying. It was also Joe Pesci who suggested Frank Vincent for the role of Salvi. Really, Pesci was vital to what Raging Bull turned into. Scorsese was given a bit of grief at the time by the people in the industry who didn't like that so many unknowns were given parts over established actors. But that's why Scorsese has always been brilliant. He doesn't do things conventionally. Okay, let's get into the film. So it opens with a beautiful and a gritty shot of middleweight boxer Jake LaMotta warming up in the boxing ring alone before a fight. This was the type of music Scorsese heard growing up in the tenements he lived in New York's Little Italy. It was a terrific decision by Scorsese to film in black and white, because again, it adds to the grittiness and the realism to the film. It looks like the old photographs of the early fighters, in the sense that this mostly takes place in the 1940s and early 50s. It's kind of like Mel Brooks making Young Frankenstein in black and white. Also, the change to black and white was when a friend of Scorsese and De Niro noticed during the filming of pre-production choreography of the fight scenes that the red gloves just seemed off for the film. It glowed too much. Gloves back in the 1940s were maroon in color. And that's when it was decided that black and white would work best for the film to add the darkness that was missing in color. After the opening credits, we cut to New York in 1964. Jake Wamada is now a middle-aged retired boxer trying to make it in show business. We see him backstage alone, practicing his routine before going on stage. He's very overweight, and his face is badly scarred from the years of abuse in the ring. I remember those tears. They still ring in my ears. And for years, they remain in my thoughts. Because one night, I took off my robe, and what I do? I forgot to wear shorts. I recall every fall, every hook, every jab. The worst way a guy can get rid of his flab. As you know, my life wasn't drab. Though I'd much, though I'd rather hear you cheer when you delve, when I, though I'd rather hear you cheer when I delve into Shakespeare. A horse, a horse, my kingdom for a horse. I haven't had a winner in six months. And though I'm no Olivier, I would much rather, and though I'm no Olivier, before Sugar Ray, he would say that the thing ain't the ring, it's to play. So give me a stage where this bull here can rage. And though I can fight, I'd much rather recite. That's entertainment. That's entertainment. We then go back 13 years to 1941. An undefeated Jake is fighting Jimmy Reeves. While the movie Rocky changed the way boxing was filmed for movies forever... The brilliance of the boxing scenes in Raging Bull are the up-close shots of all the fights. You can almost feel every punch thrown and landed because it's so in your face. Just what Scorsese envisioned after seeing those fights with LaMotta at Madison Square Garden preparing for the film. So in the film, the LaMotta-Reeves fight begins in the ninth round. Jake finally starts to come back in the fight according to the announcers and actually knocks down Reeves three times in the tenth round. On the third knockdown, Reeves is actually knocked out cold, but isn't counted out because the round ended before the 10 count. He goes to the decision, and Jake loses to the judges. It's laughable as the referee tries to lift up Reeves' arm. While he sits in the corner, he's so out of it he can barely raise his arm. The crowd then starts a riot from the controversial decision. Referee is pulling Lamada away. Two, three, four, five. The referee is over Reeves. But time 
time is running out. has been saved by the bell, but did Lamada do it soon enough? Jack, Jack, come here. It's no good. This is Ohio, not New York. You waited too long. Hey, hey, come you on, you got a robot on that, huh? Come on, robot on Ladies and gentlemen, under the rules of the Ohio Boxing Commission, after 10 rounds, the has lost his first fight. That's Jake Blake! Come on, that's Jake Blake! Jake won that guy! don't get out of the fucking ring. Stay here. You won. Let him go first. Stay here. Tell him. A lot of four dreams. That was time for the fight. But Ramada still Jake's corner man is his brother Joey, played by Joe Pesci. Joey has a mafia connection with a guy named Salvi, that's Frank Vincent, who could help push Jake into the upper echelon of fighters due to his influence. Frankly, Jake would have probably won a decision with Reeves if he had a mob connection. After the fight, we get a glimpse of Lamada's charming home life with Jake and his wife, Irma, played by Lorianne Flax, in her only film role. You thought I was fooling around, didn't you? Tell me the truth. I'm going to fool around. That's in your mind. Yeah, so what? Got that championship belt on me. That's when I fooled him out. Is it done? No, it's not done. Don't overcook it. You overcook it, it's no good. It defeats its own purpose. What are you doing? I just said don't overcook it. You're overcooking it. Bring it over. You want your steak? Bring it over. Bring it over. It's like a piece of charcoal. Bring it over here. You want your steak? Yeah, right yeah. now. Good. Here it is. Steak. Can't wait for to be done. No, here. I can't wait. Good. Okay? Happy? Happy? That's all I want. That's, That's all I want. Here. No more. There. You bought me a steak, huh? That's great. You bought me a steak? Yeah. I agree with you. We should be with Tommy. If he's in a good mood, I'll talk to him. What the fuck do you want me to do? But this Joey, Tommy tells me every day to talk to you and speak to Jake to straighten this thing out. I mean, I'm gonna wind up in the middle of this thing. You're in the middle. I'm his brother. He's got me fucking nuts. You're his brother. If you can't talk to him, who's gonna talk to him? I'll talk to him. Do what you can, that's all. That's all I'm asking you. All right, I'll see you tomorrow. Let me go. All right? Where are you gonna be? Be at the gym or the other joint. One or two. I'll catch you by the gym. All right. Sal. Yeah. Like, 
son of a bitch is calling me an animal. Hey, you! Come on, Jack. I'm gonna get hold of that dog and I'm gonna eat oh. it for lunch. You hear what I'm saying? You hear me, Larry? Larry! Crazy animal. Who's an animal? Your mother's an animal, you son of a bitch. Oh. You're gonna find your dog dead in the hallway tomorrow, you fuck. Yeah. You break anything in there, I'm gonna kill you. I swear to God, I'm gonna come in there and I'm gonna kill you. Come on, honey. Let's be let's be friends. What's going on? These small hands. I got like a girl's hands. I got them too. What's the difference? You know what that means? No matter how big I get, no matter who I fight, no matter what I do, I ain't never gonna fight Joe Lewis. Yeah, that's right. He's a heavyweight, you're a middleweight. We know that. I ain't never gonna get a chance to fight the best there is. And you know something? I'm better than them. I ain't never gonna get a chance. But you're crazy to even think about something like that. I mean, he's a fucking heavyweight or a middleweight. It's impossible. It'll never happen. So why go crazy thinking about it? It's not normal. Let me think. What? I want you to hit me in the face. What? I want you to hit me in the face. Forget about it. No, I want you to hit me in the face. Go ahead. Yeah, take your best. I said forget about it. I ain't doing it. Come on, we have fights all the time. Are you worried now you're going to hit me in the face? Hit me in the face. Go ahead. No. Are you afraid? Afraid of what? Come on, don't be a little faggot. Come on, hit me. I ain't a faggot. Take your best shot, Jack. Come on, Jack, huh? You're going to be a real jerk and want me to punch you in the face. Hey, Joey, did I not tell you just to do it? Now I'm telling you, you got to do it. I ain't hitting you. Hey, you're a little bit better, Joey. I'm telling you something. I know what you said. I ain't doing it. I don't care if you get mad. I ain't doing it. Fucking nut. I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. I don't have any gloves anyway. What am I gonna hit you with? Table? I ain't doing it. Who's that over there? What? Who's that? Wrap it around your hand. How many times I gotta tell you? Not too many more. Go ahead. Alright, go ahead. You want me to hit you? I want you to be with everything you got. I want you to fucking lay me out. Go ahead. You sure? Yeah. Alright. Harder. Yeah? You throw a punch like you take it up the ass. Come on. Harder. 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 That's hard. What the fuck? What do you take want? It take it off. Ah, oh, come on. You wanna stop now? That's off. enough with that. Come on. Right, come fuck on. around, man. Come on. Hey, girl. Go I'm gonna smack you again. Throw it again. It's enough. Enough. Hard, hard. Nah, your fucking cuts are opening everything. What are you trying to prove? What does it prove? And it proves you got to be a little nuts to be a professional boxer, and Jake LaMotta definitely fits that bill. We then see Jake sparring with Joey at the gym. Joey invited Salvi and a few other friends to watch. Now, Jake isn't pleased and doesn't want to be associated with the mob, at least not yet, and he takes it out on Joey in the ring. Jake realizes the cost that comes with being represented by the mob. Sure, he'll get better fights and whatnot, but he would also pay a steep price financially because of it. 
By the way, in the sparring scene, De Niro actually broke Joe Pesci's rib, and Pesci wasn't acting when he was doubled over in pain. After training, Jake and Joey head to the local community pool. Jake notices a stunning blonde named Vicky, played by Kathy Moriarty. Never mind she's only 15 and he's married, Jake doesn't really take too kindly to conventional ways of living, as you have noticed early on. Kathy Moriarty's hair is perfect looking in these pool scenes because the hairstylist on the film would put corn syrup at the ends of her hair in order to get everything to stay in place. Moriarty loved the stylist because she was old Hollywood and styled Marilyn Monroe's hair in a few of her films. That night, Jake and Joey go out to a nightclub, though Jake gets a verbal lashing from his wife. And even though she's only 15, Vicky happens to be at the club with Salvi and his gang. Joey and Vicky used to go out, but now they're just friends, and Joey ends up introducing Vicky to Jake the next day at the pool. Jake takes Vicky miniature golfing and eventually back to his place. It's never shown, but it's implied that they sleep together. Next, we jump forward to 1943 as Jake is fighting Sugar Ray Robinson in Detroit. Robinson was one of the top fighters of his era. Sugar Ray Robinson and Jake Lamotta in Detroit for their second fight. The undefeated Sugar Ray defeated Jake at Madison Square Garden last October. You can see the contrast in their styles. The speedy Ray Robinson up on his toes, the dancing master. Lamotta the brawler holds his fight for the most of the time. Now he's hurt Robinson. about boxing back then is there was very little time off between fights. For example, Jake and Sugar Ray have a rematch three weeks later. That just seems insane in today's boxing world. We also see the good old wives tale of never having sex before a fight. So Jake decides to test himself with Vicky before finally dumping a pitcher of ice water down his shorts. All right, now for the rematch, which is also held in Detroit with Sugar Ray Robinson. Jake LaMotta and Sugar Ray Robinson meet for the third time. These men are unique, becoming classic rivals. These two men, fierce, powerful fighters, dangerous so much so that no other fighter will go near them. And so they fight each other, three weeks apart. They've each won one, and they'll probably fight again the way it looks now. They go to close quarters at the bell.
Round seven with Sugar Ray, well ahead on points. Lamada may need a knockout. And Robinson is down for the second time in his career. He was down in the last fight, too. Lamada watches Sugar Ray take the count from the referee. Robinson trying to get up. Wiping off his gloves. He is stunned. Lamada comes at him. Mike being knocked down. Robinson is well ahead on point. He hooks the left to the jaw, left and a right to the head by Robinson. Lamada. Your attention, fans. Judge Joe Lenahan scores at eight, one, one even in favor of Sugar Ray Robinson. A big vote for Sugar Ray Robinson. Of six, two, You won and they robbed you. They're miserable because their mother's taking up the fucking ass. That's why. I've done a lot of bad things, Joey. Maybe it's coming back to me. Who knows? I'm a jinx man. Who the hell knows? Yeah, forget about all that shit. This was your shot. By the way, that last Robinson fight scene was shot brilliantly by Scorsese as he puts flames underneath the camera to produce a smoky and dingy feeling. And this fits the contrast between the brightness when Jake wins and the darkness and haze when he loses. Jake's next fight, in the film that is, is against Fritzy Zivik in Detroit on January 14, 1944. Jake wins. Keep in mind that in 1944 alone, Jake fought eight times. Raging Bull isn't meant to be a comprehensive look at his career, just the major highlights. The next fight covered is August 10, 1945, against Jose Basora. Jake wins on a TKO. For those not well-versed in the boxing lingo, this means technical knockout when the referee decides a boxer is done, even if the boxer wants to continue the fight. During these fight snapshots, we also get a 16mm type of film of Jake's personal life, like him getting married to Vicky. This is the only portion of the film that is in color, those home movie shots, along with the title credits, which were in red, of Raging Bull. For the home movie shots, both the cinematographer and Scorsese were so trained to frame shots correctly, they couldn't film amateurish like the real LaMotta home movies, so they got some teamsters who were not professionals to film this home movie shot. Next is another TKO against George Cochin on September 17, 1945. He received a draw against Jimmy Edgar on June 13, 1946. And in the montage, we also get to see Joey get married to Lenore, played by Teresa Saldana. Next, Jake knocked out Bob Satterfield on September 12, 1946. Jake and Vicky now have two kids, as does Joey. Jake beats Tommy Bell in a unanimous decision on March 14, 1947, and after the montage, Jake and Joey get into it about booking a fight against Tony Gennaro at the weight of 155 that Jake is. Don't ever do that Gennaro bullshit again. No more deals like that. You hear what I'm saying? What What am I talking about? Look at that. 168 pounds. Stop eating. What's this with the smart ass? I told you I don't want to do it in the first place. Didn't I tell you that? No, you didn't say that. You're the one that told me you could get down to 155 pounds. Where'd I get it? Would I pull it out of the fucking air? 
I don't know if I'm gonna make it down to 155. I'm lucky I make it to 160. And on top of that, you sign me for a fight at 155. And if I don't make the 155, I lose $15,000. That's right. Oh, you're supposed to be a manager. You're supposed to know what you're doing. I did just what I wanted to do. That's what I'm worried about. You did it. You want a title not. shot? What are you talking? You want a title what shot? Is, what am I? What, what am I? In a circus over here? I asked him. He's got more sense about this. What are you You've doing? You've been killing yourself for three years now, right? There's nobody left for you to fight. Everybody's afraid to fight you. Okay, along comes this kid, Gennaro. He don't know any better. He's a young kid, up and coming, and fight anybody. Good, you fight him. Bust his whole tail apart, right? What are you worried about? What's the biggest thing you got to worry about? The weight? about the weight. You worried about the weight? What are we arguing about for? I just said the weight. Okay, let's say you lose because of your weight. Are they gonna think you're not as tough as you were? You're not the same fighter? Good, they'll match with all those guys that were afraid to match you with before. What happens? You'll kill them. And they gotta give you a title shot. Bring me coffee, please. Why? Yeah. There's nobody else. Nobody's left. Who are they gonna give it to? Coffee. In a minute. You listening to me? Please, honey, bring me the coffee. All right. Oh, that boy, I'm out of the way. Are you oh, listening? Oh. Now, let's say you win. You beat Janeiro. Yeah. Which is definitely should beat him. Right? Yeah. Right? Yeah. They still gotta give you a shot at the title. You know why? Why? Because the same thing as before. There's nobody left. There ain't nobody around. They gotta give you the shot. You understand? If you win, you win. If you lose, you still win. There's no way you can lose. And you'll do it on your own, just the way you wanted to do, without any help from anybody. You understand? Just get down to 155 pounds, you fat bastard. You stop eating. What's the problem? Stop eating, that's all. You can do it. You don't understand anything. Do you understand that? You know, Joey's right. This Gennaro is an up-and-coming fighter. Unfortunately, the last clip cut off. Vicky making the mistake of saying Gennaro was good-looking, which just pisses off Jake. By the way, to be the wife of either Jake or Joey is not a barrel of laughs, to say the least. Women are basically servants to these guys. Be seen, but not heard, as Ebert mentioned in his review. Jake, Vicky, and Joey go out to a club called the Copacabana, and Jake's jealousy of Vicky rears its ugly head, along with his disdain towards Salvi and his guys. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. It's great to be back at the Copa Lounge. What a great audience. Come on, lady, laugh it up. I laugh when you come in. <laughs> But seriously speaking, folks, we have a special guest with us tonight. I'd like to introduce the world's leading middleweight contender, the Bronx Bull, the Raging Bull. Let's hear for the great Jake LaMotta, ladies and gentlemen. What's your name again? Janet. Janet, sorry. Yeah, just been, uh, it's a uh, post time. He hits me with a left hook. No head, just a hook he had. Where are you going? Hey, Vicky. Hi. You're looking great. Thanks. Joe here? Yeah, they're over there. Vicky's here, too. Oh, that's great. Listen, uh, I'm over here with Tommy and some of the old gang. Oh. You get a chance, come over and have a drink. Yeah. Well, Jake, how are you? You're not drinking, are you? Joey, how are you? Look like you're having a ball over there. Yeah. Listen, I'm over there with Tommy Como. Why don't you come over and have a drink? Tommy's here. Yeah. I didn't even see him come in. Charlie Rocks, what are you going to do here? What's the odds? Oh, oh, this is the most we get. I'll see you later, Joey. Hey, it's some suit. He looks good, huh, Jack? Huh? <laughs> I thought that was my best joke. Give 
Come on, drink up. That's ginger ale, Jake. Come on, tell him. Jake, good luck. By the way, the main boss, Tommy Como, is played by Nicholas Consanto, who is famous for playing coach on the show Cheers. Some athletes look for any sort of edge to get pumped up for their next game or their match. Michael Jordan was notorious for doing this. With Jake, he took the offhand comment by Vicky saying that Tony Gennaro was a good-looking guy to really motivate him for the next fight. So much so that he just pummels him, leading to a few really graphic scenes where Jake just smashes Gennaro's nose. There's blood spurting out everywhere. Tommy, who's sitting ringside during the fight, simply says after the beating, he ain't pretty no more. It's just brutal. Jake's beating of Gennaro is the talk of the town. And it's not only the beating we're talking about once Joey sees Vicky at the club without Jake. Joey, I saw a fight with Gennaro. I couldn't believe it. Destroyed this guy. It was absolutely incredible. He knocked his nose from one side of his face to the other. The fucking thing was hanging off. Oh, Get out! Oh, stop it! Suck your fucking eyes out! 
what you know how we do what we got. You know Don't let you know that he's wrong. He's wrong. Don't fucking talk with the giant. Hey. That's right, the first Joe Pesci meltdown on film that we come to know and love for the next 30 years. Joey smashes Salvi's head with the door of a taxi repeatedly. This leads to a meeting with Tommy. So, whether Jake likes it or not, he needs Tommy and his influences if he ever wants a title shot. It's really as simple as that. And by becoming associated with Tommy, it means if he wants Jake to take a dive on one fight in order to get a shot for another, he has to play ball. And that's exactly what Jake does in a fight against Billy Fox. Fight anymore. It's a free country. Don't fight anymore. Because it was so obvious that Jake took a dive, the Boxing Commission suspended him. Though it's not stated in the movie, the mob also got $20,000 from the throne fight. Two years later, in 1949, Jake gets his title shot against Marcel Serdan. Before the fight, Tommy shows up to wish Jake luck at Jake's apartment. As is typical with Jake Wamana, he's not wired like normal people. Jealousy is the green-eyed monster, as they say. Okay. Yep. Oh. What? Somebody's here to see you. Hey, hey Tommy, how you doing? How are you? Just when. Hey. Say hello to Charlie. Charlie. Jake, how are you? Hey, Charlie. Nice to see you. How you feeling? Feeling all right, Tommy. Thank you. Are you feeling good? I feel as good as I'm gonna feel. I gotta get in there and fight, then I'm gonna better feel. All right. Now we just can buy to wish you luck and all that. Thanks. Man. You need anything? No. You sure? Nothing? No, I don't thank you, Tom. All right. All right Take thanks. care. Good luck. God bless you. All right, Tom. Thank you. You'll be all right. Yeah, I'll be all right. Uh, see you later, everybody. Thank you. Goodbye. Ah, uh, Tommy, wait. Tommy, we really appreciate you coming. Yeah. It's really nice of you, you know? Okay. Hey, come here. Come here, man. What's wrong? 
You know what I'm talking about. What was that all about? With him. Just say goodbye. Oh, say you're so friendly with him? Just say goodbye. We you don't do that. Him. You say hello, you say goodbye. That's all. You hear? I am. Hey. <gasps> you hear what I said? You don't ever have any disrespect for me. You hear what I said? You hear what I said? Yeah, I hear. All right. Go in there. Come here. Why don't you stop that, huh? Shut stop up. it. Shut up! Stop. Shut up! I'll fucking take care of you later. Shut up! Disgusted with the two of you. Get these later. For the Serdan fight, even though it's not really shown in the film, Serdan actually injured his left shoulder when he was thrown to the canvas by Jake in the first round. Also, in the movie, it pretty much shows Jake dominating the entire fight. In reality, Serdan, according to fight records, won the second, the third, and the fifth rounds. This may have been because Jake fractured his hand early on in the fight. Jake does end up winning the fight after Serdan's corner stopped the fight in the ninth round. It's also said that Jake landed an astounding 104 punches in the ninth round alone. Now, this isn't mentioned in the film, but it's very interesting history-wise. Serdan and LaMotta had a rematch scheduled for September 28, 1949, but LaMotta injured his shoulder six days before the fight and it was rescheduled for December 2nd. Serdan was then killed in a plane crash in the Azores on October 27, 1949. He was on his way back to the United States to train for the match, so never actually happened. We go back to the film, and we get one of the more memorable scenes and disturbing scenes in the film, and yes, it's far more disturbing than the graphic boxing scenes, believe it or not. Don't shake that, Jack. Don't shake it like that, I'm telling you. It's the worst thing you could do. Yeah. Hi, Vic. Hi, Josh. Where were you? What's the matter? Television won't work. Where'd you go? I went out. Went shopping. Went to my sister's. Just kissing on the mouth. I just said hello. Can I kiss my sister in law? And the cheek good enough for you? Come on, man. I don't even kiss mom on the mouth the way you kiss. All of a sudden, you're like a Romeo. So you're not supposed to kiss your mother on the mouth. That's what I'm talking about. How's that? That looks like something. Get back. I can't see nothing with your stomach in the way now. What are you giving me dirty looks for? Supposed to be a champion. You eat like there's no tomorrow. That's it. Look, I forgot how long it took you to get to the title all the years of hard work, huh? You forgot. You're gonna defend it next month. Keep eating. Give me dirty looks like I don't know what I'm talking about. Hey, Joe, what happened with you and Salve at the Copa that time? What? When you gave him a beating. You mean when I caught his head in the taxi cab door, I was banging it, smacked him with a glass and everything? Yeah. I told you about that. No. I never told you? No, you never told me. That was no big thing anyway. I smacked him in the mouth. He was drunk. He started some shit. Had to go downtown, straighten it all out with Tom. He's all forgotten about, supposedly, anyway. How come you never told me about it? Well, it didn't have anything to do with you. 
Have nothing to do with me? No. Who did have something to do with? Vicky? Hey, Jack. I just explained the whole thing to you, didn't I? Yeah. It was between me and Salvi. If it had anything to do with you and Vicky, I would have told you about it. That's not what I heard, Joe. What do you mean, that's not what you heard? That's not what I heard. Well, what'd you hear? I heard some things. You heard about me and Salvi, then? I heard things, Joey. Yeah, you heard that I cracked Salvi all around. What'd you things, hear? Joey. I heard things. What things you heard? I heard some things. Hey, you heard things. You want to worry? Don't start that worrying shit. You know what you should worry about? Worry you got this title fight next month. That's what you should worry about. Do that. Christ. Did Salvi fuck Vicky? What? Salvi fuck Vicky. Hey, Jack. Don't Joey. start your shit. No, really, don't start. Joey, I asked you. Didn't I ask you to keep an eye on it? And I did keep an eye on it. Yes, I what did. How come you him a baby? I told you that. I told you what that was all about. It didn't have nothing to do with you. He's, he thinks he's Joey, a wise guy now. Joey, don't lie to me. I'm not lying. What do I look like to you, huh? Hey, I'm your brother. You're supposed to believe me. Don't you trust me? No, I don't. Oh, you don't? That's nice. I don't trust you when it comes to her. I don't trust nobody. Now, tell me, what happened? I told you exactly what happened. He got out of line, I slapped him around, Tommy straightened it all out, and it's all over. You give me that look, Joey. I gotta accept your answer, you know? But I'm telling you now, if I hear anything, I swear on our mother, I'm gonna kill somebody. I'm gonna kill somebody, Joey. Well, go ahead and kill everybody. You're a tough guy. Go kill people. Kill Vicky. Kill Salvi. Kill Tommy Como. Kill me while you're out. What do I care? You're killing yourself the way you eat. You're a fat fuck. Look at you. What do you mean? I don't understand. What do you mean kill you? Me. Kill me. Start here. Kill me first. Do me a fucking favor. Because you're driving me crazy. You're a killer. You're a big shot. Just kill. You're a killer. Excuse me. What do you mean by you, though? So? What does that mean? Don't yeah, mean nothing. Even, even you don't even know what you meant by you. I mean nothing. Joey, that meant something. You mentioned Tommy, you mentioned Salvi, you mentioned you. You included you with them. You could have said anybody, but you said you and them. You really let this girl ruin your life. Look at you. She really did some job on you. You know how fucking nuts you are? Look what she did to you. You fucked my wife. What? You fucked my wife. How could you ask me a question like that? How could you ask me? I'm your brother. You asked me that? Where do you get your balls big enough to ask me that? Just tell me. I'm not answering you. I'm not gonna answer that. It's stupid. You're very smart, Joey. You give me all these answers, but you ain't give me the right answer. Make sure again. Did you or did you not? I'm not gonna answer. It's a sick question. You're a sick fuck, and I'm not that sick that I'm gonna answer it. I'm not telling you anything. I'm gonna leave. If Lenore calls, tell her I went home. I'm not staying in this nut house with you. You're a sick bass. I feel sorry for you. I really do. You know what you should do? Try a little more fucking, a little less eating. You won't have troubles upstairs in your bedroom, and you won't pick it out on me and everybody else. You understand, you fucking wacko? You're cracking up. Fucking screwball, you. 
my sister. What's your wife today? Yeah, what'd you say? The father of the bride. How come you didn't tell me about the cop? Hmm? Tell you what about it? You know. How come you didn't tell me about it? Why don't you tell me about it, huh? I don't know what you're talking about. Why don't you tell me, huh? Did you fuck my brother? Huh? Get off Did me, you? fat pig! Did you? Huh? No! Open the door. Get away! Come on, open the door. I want to talk Get to you. Get away from me, you're sick! I just want to ask you one thing. Why did you fuck Joey? Get away! Open the door. No! Why'd you do it, huh? Why'd you do it? I didn't do it! Why'd you do it? Why'd you do it? Why'd you do it? Why did you fuck them? Do what? I didn't do anything! I fucked all of them! What do you want me to say? What do you mean you fucked? Who'd you fuck? I fucked all of them, Tommy, Salvi, your brother, all of them. I sucked your brother's cock. What do you want me to say? You sucked his cock? Yeah, I sucked his cock and everybody else on the fucking street, too. What do you want? You're not but a fat pig, selfish fool. that play one more time, I'm gonna stab you with this knife, you hear me? I told you, keep your hands out of the plate. Right. Where are people like you? I'm all like, oh, God! God! You fucked my wife, man! Fuck my Jake's two kids were watching the whole ordeal, by the way. While De Niro is brilliant as the sadistic Jake Wamato, without Joe Pesci, Raging Bull wouldn't be the classic that it is. Pesci is definitely the glue in the film, and you might not realize it, but the duo of De Niro and Pesci together is much like a classic comedy team. Like Abbott and Costello or Lauren Hardy or even Bob Hope and Bing Crosby, they could improvise off each other with a complete ease, and Scorsese could get the best out of them. Not only did Jake kick the crap out of Joey, he also closed fist punched Vicky after he got through with Joey. Vicky comes home later that night and starts to pack her stuff, but Jake convinces her to stay. In this LaMotta world that is bred in violence in the ring, it's almost like Vicky is so used to it that at this point, she's just not ready to leave. It's kind of crazy to watch. I guess the best analogy to use with a boxer is like a soldier coming home after many years of being in battle. It's not a simple thing to just turn it off and go back to a civilized life. In many ways, Lamada's entire world is the ring, and he can't just shut down everything outside of the ring. Jake's next fight, in the film that is, is against Laurent Datui. Jake is out of shape, takes a good beating the entire fight. However, in the 15th and final round, Jake knocks out Datui, with seconds remaining. Scorsese had the real fight film and reenacted that final round punch for punch, and what you see in the film is completely realistic based on the archival film, including Dot Dewey bouncing off the ropes after being knocked out. 
After his victory, Vicky tries to get Jake to call his brother and hash things out. Jake calls, but doesn't say a word. Joey does talk, and it's a priceless one-sided exchange like only Joe Pesci could give. Salvi, this ain't funny anymore. Is it you? I know somebody's there. I can hear you breathing. You listening? Your mother sucks fucking big fucking elephant dicks. You got that? <laughs> well, if uh, sucking elephant dicks wasn't bad enough, the next scene is the sixth and final fight between Jake and and Sugar Ray Robinson, which was later dubbed the Valentine's Day Massacre of 1951 because Jake couldn't even defend himself by the 13th round, and he's just pummeled. This scene is not for the faint of heart. Round number 13, the hard luck number. There's the buzzer, and I think you know both the boys. Champion gone down to defeat. 
So the fight had to be stopped because Jake wouldn't go down. As a matter of fact, Jake was only knocked down once in his entire career, and this was to Danny Nardico in 1952. You can actually see that real fight footage on YouTube. Also, the fight announcers were the actual tape from the real fights because Scorsese felt that nobody could reenact the same energy and poetic nature the original announcers had back in the day. We then cut to 1956 in Miami, where we see a very overweight and retired Jake. This is where you saw the method acting of De Niro in full form, no pun intended, as all the weight gain is definitely noticeable. Why are you pulling out of Wednesday's fight, Jake? It's over for me. Boxing's over for me. I'm true. I'm tired of worrying about weight all the time. That's all I used to think about was weight, weight, weight. After a while, you know, you realize other things in life. I mean, I'm very grateful. Boxing has been good to me. I got a nice house. I got three great kids. I got a wonderful, beautiful wife. What more can I ask for? Huh? Hey, hey um, what's your name? Bob. Bob. Take a picture, Bob. Okay, let him take a picture, honey. For us. Yeah, smile. <laughs> Thank you, Bob. Hey, Bob, take a picture of all of us. Jackie, come here. Slow here. Smile. Smile. Vicky, how did Mrs. Lamada, how do you feel about Jake's retirement? I think it's great. You know, he picked the right time to stop fighting. He's home with us all the time now. Yeah, man. It's, it's really good. You know what? You drunk? You drunk? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I just bought a club on Collins Avenue. It's a bar, package store, everything. That's what I'm going to call it. I, I don't know. What are you going to call it? Take a guess. Yep, he names it. Surprise, Jake Lamada's. All right, oh, there's about 20 minutes left in the film, and I don't want to spoil it in case you've never actually seen Raging Bull before. I will say, don't worry, there won't be a boxing comeback. I can spoil that for you at least. But Jake's post-boxing life is interesting, as you can imagine, and there are some incredibly powerful scenes to round out the film. This is not a fairy tale sports biopic. This is about as raw and as real as a movie can get. And it's likely the reason the film wasn't a box office smash. Uh, But it's really one of the most critically acclaimed movies in the history of film, and rightfully so. This is truly one of the best acted films of all time. It's a tough film to get through because most of the characters are not likable, especially the main character. But if you can get past that and just look at the brilliance of the film and the acting, I think you'll truly appreciate this film. All right, some fun facts. So when the real Jake LaMotta saw the film when it was first released, he left the theater depressed, and he asked his wife, Vicky, if he was really like that. And Vicky said he was way worse. The initial reviews from the critics at the time were mixed because people didn't know what to make of the film. It ranked counter to the type of Hollywood-style film that was the norm of the time. And it's really true when it comes to films that are ahead of its time. Often the most groundbreaking films aren't appreciated in their original release. And Raging Bull is not a feel-good movie. It's not meant to be. And again, your main character, Jake Wamata, isn't very likable at all. Now, the film was nominated for eight Oscars and a won two. Best Actor for De Niro and Best Film Editing from longtime uh, Scorsese collaborator Thelma Schoonmaker. Now, the film lost Best Picture to Ordinary People, and, and Scorsese lost Best Director to Robert Redford, also for Ordinary People. Joe Pesci lost Best Supporting Actor to Timothy Hutton for Ordinary People, and Kathy Moriarty lost Best Supporting Actress to Mary Steenburgen and Melvin and Howard. I think Raging Bull likely lost Best Picture unfairly because another classic boxing film won Best Picture four years earlier. Of course, that was Rocky. I mean, God forbid two boxing movies win Best Picture in a short amount of time. 
Now, there is a sort of unofficial sequel, prequel that was released in 2016 called The Bronx Bull. I have never seen it. William Forsythe plays Jake and Paul Silverino plays Joey. The film was supposed to be an official sequel, but MGM sued the filmmakers and Jake LaMotta, claiming that they had an original agreement to release any related sequels. Plus, MGM felt the film would be inferior and tarnish the original film, and I gotta agree with them on that. Jake LaMotta's brother Joseph uh, sued the production for $2.5 million for the film's alleged unflattering (laughs) depiction of him. All right, we have two special guests. It is the dynamic duo of DJ Metal Mike Tyler and his buddy Bill Roseberry, who joined me to discuss this cinematic classic. And I will be back next week to talk about yet another random movie from my DVD collection. All right, ding, ding. We're back with... The dynamic duo of DJ Metal Mike Tyler and Bill Roseberry. Welcome back, boys. Brian, I want you to hit me in the face as hard as you fucking can. (laughs) Your mother fucking sucks big fat fucking elephant dicks. (laughs) Well, greatest line ever. You you, you didn't knock me down, either one of you. You didn't knock me down with those comments. (laughs) I am prepared for both of you, and uh, this is going to be a a lot of fun because this is uh, you know, arguably one of the one of the best movies, not only in Scorsese's career, De Niro's career, but also one of the top boxing movies. So um, along those lines, we'll start with Metal Mike, uh, just De Niro wise. What are your what are your top three? And I know this is hard, but what are your top three? Uh, Ooh, De Niro all movies? right. Well, I got to go as much as I love Raging Bull and and um, and everything. And I'm a huge boxing fan. My father was a boxing enthusiast. So I kind of grew up. You know, he knows the history of the of the fight game. And uh, mm-hmm. so I grew up with and he would, you know, I mean, obviously later, once I discovered ESPN Classic, I got to watch a lot of the old uh, Jake LaMotta fights. But he would tell me stories about LaMotta and Sugar Ray Robinson and sure. how, how Sugar Ray Leonard took his name from Sugar Ray Robinson. So I knew about the the history of these of these guys and everything. But so, yeah, I love I love Raging Bull. But I have to say, for me, De Niro, it's got to be Godfather 2, Goodfellas, and Casino. I know those nice. are mobster films, but I just absolutely love those movies. But, I mean, you're talking about a guy, I mean, Awakenings. De Niro's made so many great films. It's really, you, you Taxi Driver, you know, yep. another great Scorsese, De Niro film. It's really hard to for me to just narrow it down. But those were the three that came up at the top of my head. Okay, how about you, Bill? Um. Well, the only one that I have that Mike said was Godfather 2. Yep. And, you know, not that I don't – Goodfellas was hard for me to leave off this list. And, and I had said earlier that when we were off air that the three actors that I have the most movies by in my collection are Robert De Niro, Arnold Schwarzenegger, and Denzel Washington. So whenever <laughs> you throw one of those guys and tell me to do top three, you're – it's hard. Really hard for me. <laughs> That's that. I, I did this on purpose. I Godfather two I had on there, and then I do have Raging Bull on my list. Okay, and I have one of the most difficult movies for me to watch ever, and I can't watch it very often. But it is such a phenomenal movie, and that's Deer Hunter. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh, that's a good one, Bill. I didn't even yeah, again. I it's mean, not one that came to my mind right but, away, but what a great performance. Couple- couple movies in my collection that i can only watch i don't know like every few years maybe uh-huh. and that's saving private ryan deer hunter and apocalypse now i will give you quickly my three from de niro and my choices are based on uh films where i think he stands out the most so uh, for that reason i left off the goodfellas i think it's more of an ensemble mm, piece that's and fair enough. And I, 
And I left off The Godfather to part two because I think it's an ensemble piece because Pacino is so good. So I went with Taxi Driver because he's just he is the film. Right. Uh, yes, yes. Raging Bull, because as you will find out, he is vital, even though, of course, Joe Pesci is amazing. And this one, I kind of went off the, the beaten path, but I think for newer audiences, this is how they think of him, and that's Meet the Parents. I mean, he really revitalized <laughs> his whole comedy career. I mean, it went from very super serious to this, you know, you a pothead fucker, you know? <laughs> Puff the bad Again. Yeah, I have yes. Brian, can you milk me? Yeah, exactly. I mean, he he showed <laughs> that he could do comedy. I know, I know, he did Midnight Run, and eventually did analyze this and that, and uh, and now he's kind of a parody of himself. But I think at his peak of comedy, uh, Meet the Parents is right up there. So I, I had to yeah. throw that in there. Now the third, uh, the second uh, top three I'm going to ask of you is your top three boxing movies. This this might be a little bit, I think, easier in some ways. So we'll start with Bill. All right, I have Raging Bull on here too. Yep. Um, and uh, my other two are Rocky mm-hmm. and Million Dollar Baby. Oh, very with good. A, with a uh, very uh, special mention to uh, Rocky Four, just for personal uh, reasons from when I was a kid. I, I love Rocky Four, but I, I can't put that in the top three, you know, all time boxing movies because obviously it's pretty cheesy. But. That's right. I must break you if you do that. So, no <laughs> right, way. Right. Uh, okay. Metal Mike, top three boxing movies for you. Um, this one I struggled with a little bit more, but, um, ultimately I parrot bill, uh, Rocky million dollar baby raging bull, uh, for me. Um, but I also threw in some honorable mentions, uh, Cinderella man, um, you know, Jim Braddock. I think that's just a great story. The fighter about making war with, uh, with Mark Wahlberg. And honestly, I love all the Rocky movies except for five. Five. So it's like, you know, um, Requiem for a heavyweight is another And then there's other fight movies, especially uh, movies like the, the setup with Ryan Robert Ryan. Uh, yep. Of course, like I said, Requiem for a Heavyweight. The Harder They Fall with Humphrey Bogart, another great one. Um, there's that one I can't remember the name of it. I'm trying to think. It's got Edward G. Robinson in it. Humphrey Bogart's in it. Yeah, I just uh, did it. It's uh, Kid Galahad. Yes, yes, Kid Galahad, classic. And you know what? For emotional reasons as a kid, the champ. Yeah. And I'm talking about Ricky Schwartz and John Voight one. Yep. I was going to say that too, Mike, because we watched the champ a while back. and I think that's the best acting performance Ricky Schroeder ever had. Totally. And that was his first movie, man. Yeah. Yeah. That little kid. Yeah. My God. But, Mike, a lot of those honorable mentions you said, I had the same ones. I mean, you know, I have Requiem for a, for a Heavyweight. Absolutely love that movie. You know, that's such a great movie. And, and uh, I, The Fighter um, was right there for me. Cinderella Man, all those. I mean, great, great boxing movies. Yep. For me, I mean, I could easily just do Rocky 1 through 3, even though I know 3 isn't the, the greatest, but it's the most fun to watch. Um, so definitely, I mean, check it out for that. For me, I, you have to go with the original Rocky. I, it changed not only boxing movies, it changed sports movies. It changed yes. m- movies in general for just underdog yes. films. Every single movie that came after that that is some sort of under has some sort of underdog story sure. comes from Rocky and uh, and every the montage. I mean everything. Rocky is a game changer. However, the best fight for Rocky was Rocky Two, but I'm not going to put that in the as uh, as the best movie. But I think the most uh, exciting fight and the outcome uh, that and ending is amazing for Rocky Two. My other two films. 
films quickly. Raging Bull, it's got to be there. And Million Dollar Baby, it, that's another one that is tough to watch. That is a beautiful <sighs> movie to watch. It's a Absolutely. brilliant movie, and Quint Eastwood at his finest. And Hilary Swank is tremendous. And of course, Morgan Freeman, too. But uh, as a film, it is it is tough to watch. And then we'll, we'll try to go this relatively quickly because we want to get into Raging Bull. But top three Scorsese movies. So go ahead, Mike. All right. For, well, again, man, I uh, I don't know. Maybe it's me and just I, I, I love a lot of Scorsese films. He made a lot of fantastic movies. But for me, it's the unholy trilogy of Goodfellas, Casino and The Departed. I just Scorsese yep. and Gangster just goes together like fucking peanut butter and jelly, man. I have Goodfellas and The Departed also, but my third one is Raging Bull. And so Raging Bull made all three of my lists. Now, I'm not doing that just because we're doing this episode, but I I just think that Raging Bull is, is an outstanding film. So yeah. it made all three of my lists. And the casino would have been the next one on my list for sure. And I mean, you know, there's other ones, you know, uh, Wolf of Wall Street. It's I great. absolutely love that movie. I mean, that's, that's a great one. Even his remake of Cape Fear. Um, mm-hmm. I, I own the original Cape Fear and the Me too. remake. And yep. uh, I mean, oh, yeah, those are great. And, and De Niro's f- phenomenal. Scorsese's just done so many great movies. But for me, yeah, the top three are uh, are Goodfellas, The Departed and Raging Bull with probably, you know, um, Casino right there. Yeah. Yeah. I uh, we're, we're on the same page. Goodfellas, Departed. And then I put Taxi Driver just because it's it's so brutal. It's so uh, uh, 70s. It's just it's it's another tough one to watch. But just between that and, of course, having um, Jodie Foster in that as a kid, it's just it's it's just a brutal movie. But I think Casino next uh, it has to be there. And it's one that always gets forgotten because of Goodfellas. But, uh, yeah, tremendous. All right. Let's get into Raging Bull. Uh, I think the first thing we got to talk about, and I know when I brought this up a long time ago with Bill, it's 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 some of the it's one of the reasons some people won't even see the movie, which I think is insane. I think the importance of doing this film in black and white is absolutely vital to why this film is so good. I don't think it would this film would have been as historically significant if it was filmed in color. So we'll start with Bill. Do you agree with that? And do you think that black and white actually enhances this film? I absolutely 100 percent agree with that. I think that. It just adds some artistic integrity to it. There's just something about seeing it in the in the black and white that adds to the whole aura of the film. Now, my best friend, who's like my my brother who I grew up with, um, he won't watch because it it's in black and white. And I know he would absolutely love it. I mean, because <laughs> for you don't even think about it. When Mike and I were rewatching this movie, this movie is very sneaky funny. Yes. Like, it is actually pretty hilarious. Just watching Pesci and De Niro play off each other, sometimes I am just just roaring laughing out loud because it's just so insane. I mean, Jake LaMotta was fucked up. Yes. But uh, <laughs> the, the black and white, part of it, it like i said i, I would say it, it brought an artistic integrity to the aura of the film definitely yeah and even scorsese said look when you watched old fights i mean granted these, this took place in the 40s and early 50s when you saw these in black and white because you were either seeing mm-hmm. right time magazine photos or you were seeing it on television and it was in black and white or you heard on the radio and so you weren't seeing it all <laughs> so mike what do you think 
I'm, I pretty much echo what Bill says and also the fact that what you just said, more importantly to me, all them old fights that I watched on ESPN Classic was in black and white, yep. very grainy, um, gritty. Um, it adds um, grit and realism to the film, even though it is in black and white. Uh, many times the world of boxing is black and white. It's kill yep. or be killed. Um, and I think it lends... Uh, itself to that film you know to that so i i understand where scorsese went that way like when you when you when you look at all the old classic boxing photos like when rocky marciano smashing jersey joe walcott in the face man yep. it's just like or ali yeah or yeah even the old ali it's just a grimness to the the whole proceeding because i mean the world of boxing it's fucking brutal it's a brutal world man so definitely uh added to the uh starkness of the sure film. and the brutalness well this is a great transition to my <laughs> my next point uh your guys's feelings about jake lamada because yeah it's conflicting to have a guy that's the main character he's supposed to be quote unquote be the hero but he's as bill was saying he's basically insane in many ways and you know like him beating tony Gennaro so badly because his wife thought he was cute <laughs> I uh, this that's the psyche of this guy, almost like, you know, how jo Michael Jordan would psych himself up against a guy, whether it was, you know, rational or not, just to get him motivated for the fight. Uh, so how do you guys feel about Jake LaMotta, uh, I guess, as a as a human? I know that that's the best way I could I could put it. So how about you, Bill? <laughs> um, I think that uh, he needed to go see a uh, shrink. <laughs> I mean, I mean, when he's sitting in his apartment at the very beginning and he's like, I want you to punch me in the face, right? <laughs> punch me in the face. And, and, you know, I mean, it, it, it's like, what the fuck is wrong with this guy? Yeah. You know, and then, yeah, I mean, just his I mean, level of jealousy and just the way his brain worked is just mind boggling. Sometimes it's like, what the fuck is wrong with you, dude? Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, it, it is, it's, it's part of what draws you to the, movie because it's sure. like watching a train wreck and then when you see that jake lamada is fully behind this movie yeah and he's you know a writer for the movie and everything and and you're like wow you know and it and it makes you even think a little bit more about it because it, it makes you even love it more because this guy really peeled back everything and lets you see how fucked up he was you know yeah. for the world and that adds a, even a, a, a more realism to it for me but yeah nowadays i mean he'd be sitting in a shrink's office for sure easily yeah and and vicky was also interviewed for this or you know she was part of the making of this film and stories and she collaborated you know corroborated that a lot of this stuff was true mike your feelings about jake wamata it's funny obviously dude had some serious deep-seated insecurity issues paranoid i think he felt like he didn't trust really anybody I don't think even his own brother clearly. Obviously, yep. Um, you know, and I, but I at the same time I got to give the guy props because for a, a sports figure guy like that, a legend like that, to just basically go here I am because even the book man like he didn't fucking bullshit. He's like, yeah, I was a fucked, I was, I was fucked up. You know, like yep. I'm a fucking hot mess, folks. Here I am. He was a great fighter, and I don't think Jake obviously was all bad. I mean, obviously there was something about him that Vicky fell in love with, but honorable mention to kathy moriarty i thought she was phenomenal in this film and i'd forgotten just how pretty of a woman she really well, was she was know? only 19 at the time and so i mean playing vicky which i guess was supposed to be roughly 15 or 16 when he met her so right. there's, there's a whole other issue there uh, right, yeah, right, right 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 
Yeah, she's tremendous. So I think her, she definitely is a dark horse in this film. But I think Pesci gets left out uh, partly just because De Niro was so, you know, it, it's the LaMotta story <laughs> or the Jake LaMotta story. So let's Fine. go into those two specifically. Uh, Bill, Pesci and Moriarty, how do you feel about them? They were fantastic. I mean, absolutely fantastic. I mean, for, for, for my money, I mean, Joe Pesci, he is such really an underrated actor of yep. of that generation i mean and he, he doesn't have a huge huge discography i mean but filmography or film i'm sorry yeah filmography thank you mike uh yeah but he, he uh, does sing too he has an album he does, does he really uh, i've never he heard him sing i don't know if he's <laughs> underrated as a singer i'm gonna guess <laughs> no but uh yeah as, a, as an actor he's very underrated i think and and this movie and obviously i was a little kid when this came out so i didn't see it until i was an adult i sure my first real introduction to Joe Pesci was probably Home Alone. Alone. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, yeah. and then as I go back, I see Goodfellas at a fairly young age, actually, and and Casino, and I, and then I saw Raging Bull. So, right, you know, and and I was like, wow, this dude. I mean, obviously, when I saw Goodfellas, I was like, man, that's the dude from Home Alone. Yeah, you yeah. know. And then when I saw Raging Bull, I I was, you know, all in on him, and then. Yeah, Kathy Moriarty. Uh, that th- this is the best thing she ever did. I mean, yeah, you know, she, she'd pop up in in different places along the way too. But this, I've never seen her do anything even close. She was great in this. And then we got a one thing before I forget about it. I want to bring this up because I always mm-hmm. think about this. And this is a Scorsese thing across the board. And and it's it's kind of I've always thought it was kind of neat. Frank Vincent. Yep. Okay, the the Frank Vincent Joe Pesci story is told in three parts through Martin Scorsese movies. <laughs> Part one, Joe Pesci beats the living shit out of him, yep. and uh, you know, in Raging Bull. Part two. Uh, Joe Pesci kills Frank Vincent in Goodfellas, <laughs> and then part three, Frank Vincent finally gets his day in the sun, and he gets to kill Joe Pesci in Casino. I That's always true. thought that was really cool. You know, how those same three actors. I always did say them. though, with The Sopranos, I think they missed a golden opportunity not having Joe Pesci put in a cameo as the hitman. Right. Kills yeah. Frank. Joe Pesci yeah. could have come back and he could have drove over his head. <laughs> that would have been fucking awesome, man. Yeah, I well, was yeah. hoping that was going to happen. Like I'm like, I hope when they kill him, I hope the hitman is fucking um, Joe Pesci. I would have thought, <laughs> I, I think that would have just been brilliant in my opinion. But apparently the powers that be that were David chasing them that were doing the Sopranos, uh-huh. either it didn't occur to them or maybe Joe Pesci was unavailable. I don't well, know. But, uh, <laughs> Pesci's the one that got Frank Vincent in, in Raging Bull. So, I mean, he, so there's yeah. definitely uh, some love there. And let's not forget uh, for Joe Pesci, Easy Money with uh, Rodney Dangerfield oh, in 1983. Absolutely. <laughs> I had forgotten about that. That is a great Joe Pesci performance, too. Yeah. 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 yeah Joe's the kind of guy that you, you're talking about, a dude, who just doesn't mail it in. He's he's made a lot, done a lot of great. My introduction to Joe was this film. I was just a kid when I watched Raging Bull, and I don't. It was a bit much for me at the time. I was just a kid, you know, and my dad being a boxing fan, oh, let's watch this movie. And then when we're watching, I'm like, oh, oh, you know, again, not to quote George Takai, but I'm like, oh, my. my. I was like, damn, you know, like, what the fuck? You know, like, even as a kid. And uh, but I thought Joe was great. And then after that, of course, I saw him on. Uh, in Lethal Weapon 2, uh, you know, oh, and then Home Alone, and then, yeah. And then <laughs> I forgot about the Lethal Weapon, yeah. 
Yeah, it's almost like with Lethal Weapon Two, it gave him an, a, a a resurgence in his career because I'd forgotten about the uh, Rodney Dangerfield, yeah, Dangerfield film, which he was fantastic in that. But another great film of his, I think, that doesn't really get enough credit is uh, a movie he did with Brendan Fraser called With Honors. He's mm-hmm. really really good in that movie too. If you ever get a chance to check yep. that out, never seen it. He he really hasn't been in that many films. If you think about no. how popular no. he is, it's really like his his coup de gras is my cousin Vinny, and he deserved everything he got yeah. from that one. It's so. great in that one too. Oh, yeah, amazing! I forgot about old Leo Getz though. Good good call, uh, Mike. True, yeah. lethal weapon. He's in three yeah, of them. Leo yeah. Getz. Okay, 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 okay. We'll get into the fight scenes uh, because I think. <laughs> I think even today they're the most brutal fight scenes in film history, and uh, just those those Sugar Ray Robinson fights that he had against him, and and the fact that these guys would do anywhere from ten to twenty fights a year. I mean, these some guys don't even have a career that long. <laughs> right. So, and these guys were doing that in one year. I think uh, Lamada, his first year, he started professionally fighting. He had twenty fights, and then uh, you know when his in his peak in the 40s, he was doing ten fights a year. That's insane. So, uh, oh, let's yeah. go through the actual brutalness the way Scorsese filmed these these fights and uh, kind of to tack this on, have you guys actually seen a live boxing match before? We'll start with Mike. Believe it or not, I, had, I never have. As much okay. as I love boxing, um, my dad, again, um, if he can watch at home on TV, he's going to watch it at home on TV. He, he's, <laughs> right. he's been to a few live fights. He went with his buddy, Denny, um, but at the time he wanted to take me, but my mom was like, no, you don't, you know, <laughs> um, you know, cause I was just a kid. Um, but, uh, I would love to see a, a fight, uh, live, but yeah, um, no, I haven't. But as far as like the way this film is done, especially that era of boxing, there was, there really is be honest in the world of boxing. There's nothing nice about it. No, you know, it's not the nice about it. And it's the same way with, you know, boxing, especially back then. I mean, I mean, they really are modern day gladiators in sure. every sense of the word, just like, you know, MMA. And it's fucking brutal, you know, and especially back then. I mean, I think there's still corruption going on with boxing right now. I, there's times I'll watch fights all the time where the judges will fucking clearly, you know, give the decision to some other dude. And you're like, what fucking fight did you just watch? You know, <laughs> it's uh, like the Olympics. <laughs> yeah, it's like, really? OK. Um, but back then it was even worse. It was sure. really, really bad. And I mean, I'll run by the mall. I mean, there's that scene in the movie where Jake he threw the fight and it yep. killed him. It absolutely fucking killed him to yep. do it, you know, but back then, man, you didn't have a choice really. You know, it's like, it's real easy for some people to sit back and go, well, I'd never do that. Motherfucker. You're not in that situation though. Are you? Sure, sure. You don't know what the fuck you're going to do in a situation like that until you're presented with it, man. Yep. Yeah. It's just, and like you said, the brutalness, the blood, the guts, literally, um, I thought Scorsese conveyed that beautifully in the film, man. <laughs> like it was so over the top, but I think that's the way it really was, man. I don't think there was any um, holding back, you know, with this film. It was like, boom, here it is. This is and what's very like, up clo- and very up close shots too. Yeah, and what's ironic is like apparently Martin's not even that big of a fight fan, which no. blew me away when I he did had, the research. Wow, for this film. He, had, he had never seen a fight. He actually went with Brian De Palma. And, uh, and but Obama famously said, "Hey, good luck with this film because <laughs> it's it, fight, shooting fight films is not easy." Bill, it, it, what do you feel about the fight scenes? And have you seen a fight uh, live? I I thought they were brilliant, and um, unfortunately, I have not 
seen a live boxing match. I, when I was first starting as a sports writer, um, there was a, 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 a girl that worked in the newsroom with me at the first paper I was at. I would have liked to have an opportunity, but it was when Corey Spinks was a big deal mm. um, here in mm-hmm. St. Louis area, and he would get some big fights to come back into St. Louis. And I don't know if you know who his who his promoter was, right? <laughs> was it Don King? It was Don King. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So she was already covering that stuff. She would go cover those every year. She loved it, and I never got to. She would have interviews with Don King. He would sit down and talk to her. And I was so jealous. I would have loved to got to go cover one of those Corey Spinks fights and get to interview Don King. Yeah. As, as despicable of a human being <laughs> as I think Don King is as a journalist. I'd I love it. I don't know it. if there'd be a better quote that you could get. I mean, he'd just be a quote machine. Yep. So I was, I was so giddy, but I never got a chance to. I have been to live MMA fights. Um, okay. uh, I, I actually DJ'd. An MMA fight before I was a, a writer, and I I did ring announcements and would play intro music for the guys that came down. Oh. Some friends of ours, Mike and I, family were real good friends with the the Brookses. Their mother <laughs> was an MMA fighter, and the brothers were MMA fighters. Wow! And I saw Peggy, Bill, Billy, and Nate all. Or, no, no, Nate didn't fight that. Just Peggy and Bill. Billy fought that night, and Billy completely annihilated the guy he was with they had to take him out of the ring on a on a stretcher and uh yeah it was it was really brutal um watching that so i could only imagine what what boxing would be like um i do have a story though from my time as a writer i wanted to say real quick sure some of the stuff mike was talking about so when i was a kid my dad my dad, before I was born, my dad worked on lawnmowers, and then he worked at Amico back in the day. And when I was a kid, there was this older reverend. He was this, this gigantic black man that my dad would work on his lawnmower. And his name was Reverend Stan Howlett. And I would go over to my dad's house when I was a kid and hang out while dad worked on his mower. And, and Mr. Howlett was a retired boxer. Before he got into becoming a minister, he was he boxed. Mm-hmm. And I just remember how enormous he was. He was a heavyweight. Mm-hmm. His hands were ginormous. And he was such a sweet, sweet man and, and treated me so great when I was a kid. When I became a sports writer, I would do these legacy stories on professional athletes out of our area here. And nobody knew anything about Reverend Howlett. I mean, you know, he was deceased by then i tracked down his son and i did a three-part story on him he he was really really good the last fight he ever did he, he was a golden gloves uh champion he'd fought in the mil- in the military overseas and was really good and he was an up-and-comer but never never threw any fights or took any money from the mob or whatever well, he had become friends with sonny liston hmm. the last fight he ever had he fought liston in st louis and the Globe Democrat, which is an old St. Louis newspaper that's no longer around, they covered it. I actually saw the story. Mm-hmm. And the writer in the Globe Democrat said that, that Howlett won. I mean, Howlett mm. whipped Liston, but Sonny was in the mob's pocket. Right. Um, and uh, when they called the called the match on, on, on points, uh, Liston won. And Howlett stormed into Sonny's dressing room and he goes you know i won this fight 
whatever they say, I beat you. And he was like, I'm done. And uh, he went in and he told his wife, I can't do this anymore. I just turns my stomach. This is so crooked that I'm never going to make it no matter how good I am because I'm never going to sell out. And uh, he retired. Yeah. And um, he went into he went back to college and he ended up he was bilingual. He could speak Japanese from part of, partially from his time in World War Two. Mm-hmm. And he worked for Boeing a long time and he did that and then he became a preacher and and found faith and it was kind of that that time that turned him to faith you know uh that fight and it's a really interesting story but him and Sonny became they remained close and and when i interviewed his son liston would still come back and visit stan when he was back in the area they remained like i said the, the rodney his son said it was so cool because Here'd Sonny Liston would come over to our house and he'd be in these elaborate outfits and he'd have <laughs> like an entourage of people with him and he's hanging out with my dad. And for me, I never knew my dad from that life. So it was really, really bizarre. And when Sonny died, Rodney said his dad was devastated. And his mm-hmm. dad said until he died in his his deathbed, he, um, well, he ended up getting dementia and couldn't mm-hmm. remember much of the end. But he always said that Sonny was killed by the mob. There's no yeah. doubt in his mind because he goes, Sonny Liston would have never killed himself. And right. everything went on with that. He said they killed him. Um, and he, he said he not doesn't know particulars why, but it was just a really interesting story. I know Mike read it. He showed that story to his dad, too. I did a three part story on on this guy. And so, yeah, I mean, I know it just kind of showed the underbelly of the boxing world through that time, too. Well, what's re- I, I'm really glad you told that story. That's great. And if people can go out and can they still find it on the Internet? Probably. Uh, yeah. Um, let me see. I can't remember what okay. it was, uh, what the story was called, but I'll, I'll look it up and I'll, I'll, I'll let you know. Yeah, because I can put in the show notes, too. I, I'd say from that story, it's it's interesting how life is, because let's say. Uh, he had won that fight against Liston. He would have kept boxing and forever changed his life, possibly. And so you could arguably say losing was the best thing that happened to him, you know, uh, as it turned out, because working for Boeing and, and then eventually going into the ministry. And also speaking of Sonny Liston, just he's always been vilified because of the whole Ali thing. But people are saying he really wasn't. I mean, he definitely had some. Uh, Lamada type moments they were saying, but he wasn't as bad as, as like the oh, Ali kind of um, portrayal of him. No, uh, no yeah. not yeah. at all. I mean, um, Rodney even said he was such a nice guy when he was a kid, you know, and him and his dad were so close, you know, they just had that disagreement over that fight. And yep. other than that, uh, they were, they were friends. And here's the name of it. It was called um, from the ring to the pulpit, to the classroom. Awesome. That's the name of the, the, the story. And it's it's got uh, multiple parts to it. I wrote it in 2008. So okay. it was early in my uh, writing career. career. So Yeah. Well, as brutal as boxing is, um, and we'll, we'll go with Mike on this one, the fight that between Jake and Joey and then having the kids watch this and also seeing their mother get punched is arguably more brutal than any boxing match. What, what do you think, Mike? <laughs> Oh, yeah. I mean, that whole scene was just insane, you know. 
Yeah. Um, and then him beating his own brother up. It was just like, Jake, what the fuck is wrong with you, dude? Like, seriously, what is wrong with you? And you know, he feels horrible after he did it. Like, after it's not he like he, yeah, yeah, you know, it, it's not like he didn't have any remorse. He just, I don't know, man, you know, just a hot headed, crazy Italian guy, I guess, man. I don't know. Like I said, man, some serious deep-seated issues with with Jake, man. But again, at the same time, I almost have to applaud him for most sports people would not show that side of themselves. Sure. Well, it's almost like a – yeah, it's almost like a soldier that can't turn it off when he gets out of war. He's almost like that guy that can't turn yeah, it off. Yeah, yeah, he can't, ring. you know, and, and that's the thing, man. Yeah, you know, you're, you're right. I mean, with most boxers, and that's what's weird is most boxers, from what I've read and understand, and even the few that I've actually met, a lot of them are very gentle people, man, that, you know, and they're able to turn that that knob mm-hmm. off, you know, like right. kind of like in The Champ when he tells Ricky Schroeder, a champ uses his fist in the ring, not in the real world. You know, right. right. And uh, yeah, I guess with with Jake, man, you're talking about a guy who obviously had some serious fucking demons. Um, I I don't know, man. The thing that made him such a great fighter was also his Achilles heel kind of a thing when it came to his personal life. It was just like uh, like you're never going to see a movie that shows Joe DiMaggio's words. (laughs) And for what I understand, that guy was a complete prick. And the the closest thing you're ever going to get to that is in 61. And, and, you know, he had he had died by the time they did that movie. So up until that point, you thought Joe DiMaggio was Mickey Mantle's mentor. Actually. Joe DiMaggio made Mickey Mickey Mantle's life a living fucking hell. Yeah, he was. Yeah, didn't know that because yeah, you're right, Mike. I mean, Joe DiMaggio would have never signed off on anything making himself look bad when he was alive. And that's why I got to give Jake credit for that. It's like, wow, man, you know, like to just throw it all out there like that. And and even saying that, I don't know that Mickey Mantle would have signed off on some of the things that we've learned about him since he passed away either. I mean, there's oh, so yeah. many books about this, him. Yeah. Um, something about the the lost boy or something like that, or the 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 yeah, the last boy. Um, he never thought he would live past a certain age because of his dad. His dad died at a young age, and so he was a uh, you know live life you know by the day, and he didn't care. He didn't take care of himself. He drank, you know, and and everything. And just imagine how he could have been one if he hadn't hurt his knee, of course. But right. if he had really just taken care of himself, he could have been one of the all-time greatest players, and he was anyway. He was but, anyway, right? I think his yeah. grandpa died at a real young age too. I think it was yeah. kind of a and, and Mickey lived way past them. He did, I yeah. Mean, he was some absolute mess. I mean, cirrhosis, and I mean, is yeah. Because yeah, Mickey, much as he drank, yeah, yeah, of course, Mickey. I think you're you're it. You're you're absolutely right. I think it, for whatever reason he felt like, well, I'm living on borrowed time. Yep. So yep. I'm going to enjoy my life. As yeah, he really was in many ways like the second coming of Babe Ruth because Babe was the same way. You know, it was like yeah. well, actually, it's it. like the second coming of Joe DiMaggio in many ways. So well, yeah. that that true. That yeah. that's that too, man. Um, but I guess DiMaggio just hit it better. Obviously, he I didn't think. have the pa- he didn't have the power that Mantle had. So yeah, right, Man- yeah. Mantle could almost right. do it all, uh, and he yeah. had the speed. He was like you know basically Mike Trout. Mike Trout um, and right. Mantle are, are very similar. Well, yes. let's yeah. let's wrap it up on talking about how De Niro changed. I mean, talking about method acting, how he basically changed his whole body for this film. He, he nobody had really done that like that before. So Bill, I mean, just the 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 type of dedication this guy had towards this role uh what do you what do you think 
quit eating, you fat fuck. Come on. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah, it was amazing how he'd go from in, in shape to just this big fat tub of lard and, you know, and uh, Joey's always getting on him about it. You know, like I just said, he looks at him that one day. He's like, you know, yeah. quit eating, you fat fuck. And he's sitting there eating a sandwich just looking at him like an oaf, you know. And, yeah. I mean. Uh, and by the end yeah, of the movie, that, he's enormous. That, uh, yeah, right. And I mean. The way he did that, the way he changed his body, I mean, that changed the way actors did things, I mean, moving forward. And, and it's not healthy. It's probably no, not a good thing. Not at um, all. But, yeah, I mean, you, you figure what De Niro did in Raging Bull had an effect on Dennis Quaid when he did Wyatt Earp or, or Christian Bale when he did The Machinist. Or, you know, um, the fire. I mean, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, Daniel Day Lewis on any role he does. Yeah. Daniel yeah. Day Lewis is, yeah, he's done that stuff too. I mean, acting like that, he, he changed the game with what he did in this. And I also, as much as he changed his body in this too, I also wanted to mention the makeup job in this sure. movie was phenomenal. Phenomenal. Yep. phenomenal. I mean, that's a very underlining part of this movie, but. The, the makeup team on this movie, I mean, great, great A work for sure. Absolutely. All right. Some final thoughts to wrap this up. Metal Mike. Oh, uh, you know, if you've not watched this film, you need to check it out, especially if you're a fight fan. But in my mind, I can't imagine anybody who's a fan of, of boxing not seeing this film. Yeah. Um, uh, and even if you're not a fight fan, you, you, you should definitely check it out. If you're one of those people like my friend Reedy, who's narrow minded. <laughs> Quit being narrow-minded and watch this movie. It's a great yeah, right. film. At least once, yeah. Bill? Yeah, fantastic uh, movie. Um, few scenes that really stand out to me. Um, the Janeiro fight, very uncomfortable, like you talked about. She yep. had said that he was he was a good-looking guy, and that just completely brought up all those, that insecurity and jealousy in Jake. And Jake, you know, just beat the living fuck out of him. And uh, Tommy says he ain't pretty no more. Right. Now, and, and before we, we haven't even mentioned who who is Tommy? Who did Nicholas Colasanto? Who did he go on to become? Oh, Coach. that's right. Yes, that's yes, correct, Mike. Oh, yes. Coach yeah. on Cheers played Tommy the the gangster. Yeah. Which blows yeah. me away, but you know right. the yeah. most gentle person on that show. You know? Yeah, coach yeah. so was great. Yeah. So uh, anyway, the Janeiro fight stands out to me at that point in, in the movie, and and Billy Fox, the one where he finally threw the fight yeah. to yeah get there, and when he's in the locker room just bawling his eyes out afterwards, he's just completely crushed because he did that to get his shot. Um, it, it just went against everything who he was. That's a very emotional and, and, and hard part to watch. A couple other parts that have always bothered me is obviously we talked about earlier when he hit her and, and beat yep. Joey up. But then when he sees Joey coming out of the liquor store and he's, yeah. Yeah. he's trying to talk to him and Joey just ignores him. And he wouldn't have anything to do with him. That that part. And then the other one is when he gets arrested and thrown yes. into the the, the county jail and he's and he's headbutting his hands yep. the wall and the, yep. I can't even watch it I almost got to turn my head I mean it's just so so hard to watch I mean just yeah. it, it was sad it really was yep. and then of course 
my, my favorite part of the movie, which I mentioned coming in, I got, I, I got to talk about it again is when he, when he'd call Joey, you know, on the phone and, and, uh, <laughs> she gets to call Joey at the, you know, um, Vicky gets him to call Joey after the, the fight. He, he's, uh, he's on the phone and he doesn't say anything. And Joey's on the and he goes, I can, I can fucking hear you breathing. <laughs> goes, you know, your mother fucking sucks big fat fucking elephant dicks yeah I mean, favorite one of my favorite lines in cinematic mm. history i died laughing me and yeah. dirty dave used to call each other on the phone and do that to each other all the time. <laughs> yeah. on that note i'm gonna leave you guys because you can't top that so no. as always thank you so much you guys are back on the air uh every friday night starting at 8 yes. p.m on that metal show or sorry that metal station.com and uh and it's great to have you guys back and you can hear more of this type of stuff on their show so thanks again guys thank you brian awesome thanks for having us brian if you are ever in the san francisco bay area and still love collecting or renting dvds or vhs tapes come check out captain video and san mateo at 2837 south el camino real captain video is open six days a week and closed on wednesday and one of the last traditional video stores still running in the United States. New movies you can rent for $2.99 a day. Old movies you can rent for $2.99 for five days. And if renting isn't your thing, you can also purchase anything you find in the store. Be sure to tell Ira that you heard about Captain Video from the Damn Good Movie Memories podcast. Happy renting and happy collecting at Captain, Captain Video. 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 Come hang out and chill with Brian A. Davis and the Bad Beat. Wednesdays, 11 p.m. Eastern, right here on ThatMetalStation.com.